This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific. Thermo Fisher's cell therapy processing instruments are designed to help customers transition from process development to commercial manufacturing, utilized as standalone devices or integrated as part of a closed modular process. Thermo Fisher Scientific recommends Gibco CTS DynaSelect Magnetic Separation System, which is a next-gen cell isolation and activation instrument. Gibco CTS Xenon Electroporation System allows customers full control to optimize for a variety of cell types and payloads. And Gibco CTS Rotea Counterflow Centrifugation System is a closed cell processing system supporting a broad range of protocols for cell separation, washing, and concentration. Customers can rely on and streamline their drug development process with Applied Biosystems Qualtrac qPCR and dPCR quality control tools for robust and reliable genetic analysis across various phases of drug development, supported by relevant, compliant documentation. listeners, and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm happy to introduce my only repeat guest to date, someone who needs no introduction, Dr. Peter Marks. Dr. Marks is a hematologist oncologist serving as the director of the Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research within the Food and Drug Administration. He joined the FDA in 2012 as deputy center director for CBER and became center director in 2016. Dr. Marks, welcome back to Cell and Gene, the podcast. This is such a treat, not only for me, but also for our listeners. So happy to have you here. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. You're absolutely welcome. So, all right, let's jump right in. All right, we are here to talk about base editing specifically. And so I wanted to hopefully have you level set the conversation of, you know, where we are with base editing in terms of cell and gene therapy. You know, it's unmet medical need. You know, what is its potential? What excites you most about base editing? And also, what concerns you most about base editing? So, it's kind of a mouthful, but let's start at the top. So, thank, thanks very much. So, um, I, I think we can, we can extend the discussion today to base editing and perhaps prime editing, which is mm-hmm. a version uh, of, of base editing that. Um, uh, extends it a, a little bit, but the base editing um, uh, is a, a, a technology which, in, in some way, it, it, it kind of makes working with DNA kind of the similar to how you would be editing a Word document. The idea that you can go in and take a single letter and change it, um, and uh, because of that, the ability to alter just one. Uh, one nucleotide, one piece of the genetic code very accurately, um, uh, there are potentially thousands of diseases that might be addressed where you just have a single um, uh, base pair uh, that is off. Uh, So I think there's a lot of potential here um, that's obviously uh, for these, uh, for, for rare genetic diseases. If you then expand uh, base editing uh, to include prime editing, and prime editors basically take uh, what base editing does and expand it slightly by using a more complex enzyme combined with a more complex guide uh, to be able to uh, edit small stretches of DNA 
they can address an even broader array of genetic defects if and and depending on what you're dealing with one might be preferable over the other but once again uh this is a way of potentially dealing with uh an incredibly wide array of uh, uh genetic defects um uh, and correcting them um and so incredibly exciting because of the number of different diseases uh that might be addressed um uh, a little bit uh, scary still because we don't understand everything about uh, the potential um, off-target effects of these technologies. That is, um, it's wonderful uh, to be able to potentially uh, fix these genetic defects. Um, the hope is, though, that we don't introduce others um, uh, because whenever you're using a genetic sequence to match up, um, there is that possibility that you can match up in the wrong place and uh, create unintended effects. Now, uh, so far, um, uh, with base editing technology, people have been looking at this, and um, uh, the at least in uh, when it's done in the cellular uh, uh, level, it looks like the number of correct cuts versus the number of incorrects um, uh, is still very favorable. Um, but um, I think. We'll still have to see how that goes over the course of time. And um, uh, there's still much more to be learned here um, uh, because not only do we want to be able to do this in cells taken outside of the body and then put back into it, uh, but potentially uh, the real excitement comes from being able to potentially administer a base editor or a prime editor and have that happen in the body without having to go through the extra step uh, of uh, taking cells out um, and uh, giving them back. The advantage of taking cells out is that after you've done the editing, you can actually do sequencing uh, to make sure you haven't introduced something uh, that's problematic. On the other hand, uh, that adds a, a, a lot of complexity um, and potentially uh, expense to the whole process. So really an exciting area um, uh, that we'll learn more about. I mean, when you think about it, the rate at which um, these developments have occurred, they remind me of Moore's law. We've just seen how you know, we had, we only, we, we had gene genome editing technologies previously with meganucleases and talons. And then we had CRISPR-Cas9, then we had uh, the base editors. Now we have prime editors, and and people are starting to riff off of those. So tremendous amount of uh, of progress, um, and hopefully our ability to make sure that we're not seeing off target effects uh, keeps up with that, uh, so that we can really move this field forward. Yeah, good. Okay, thank you for that, and thank you for including prime editing too. We've covered both on cell and gene, and um, so I'm glad that you're. We, we brought that into the discussion too. Um, perhaps to talk a little bit more about the challenges or the, you know, the, the bigger challenges that biotechs are facing focused on both base and prime editing, you know, whether it be off target effects, what have you, um, you know, when it comes to those challenges, you know, since we're, we're kind of early on here, are there potential solutions? You know, can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, well, I think I think the issue of assessing the 
uh, this issue for off-target effects is one that there are enough people working on that um, that I think those will uh, be addressed uh, by scientific advancements over the next years because we're already addressing some of them. Um, I, I worry less about some of, uh, of, of making progress there than some of the basic stuff like being able to uh, make these uh, a, in a cost-effective manner um, uh, with high quality um, uh, and, and be able to have them studied effectively. I think we probably are going to need to come up with some new playbooks uh, for how we figure out um, what crosses the finish line to an approved products for these uh, genome editing therapies, because they will be uh, by almost by definition uh, uh, very uh, uh, targeted therapies uh, to potentially small groups of, of individuals. Some may be for larger groups um, and understanding how you manufacture them, study them and get them across the finish line um, will be something that I, I think will be important. And I think for biotechs, what, I think they worry about most, at least from having been on the other side, is is uncertainty, right? It's so I think that to the extent that we in uh, in what we do as regulators can start to help to provide some uh, guidance in this area, it will hopefully be helpful. So potential solution, obviously, um, obviously we want to see the the science continue to advance so that we can understand off-target effects be, uh, better um, the manufacturing technologies advance so that we can bring down the cost of manufacturing and obviously then from our perspective as regulators the potential solution is that we can hopefully get some guidance out there um, that essentially outlines the process of how you go uh, about bringing these forward uh, so that they can cross the finish line into uh, approved products yeah, sure. And um, I think maybe that's, you know, the, the guidance that you and your team are working on to kind of help push this forward. Maybe that's the best way to, to drum up the next question, because I want to talk a little bit about from a regulatory perspective, you know, what are you and your team keeping your eyes on? Because, you know, everyone in the everyone under the umbrella of the biotech or, you know, the sponsor company, they really care about um, a what's happening from a regulatory perspective. And so when it comes to this genome editing, all of it, you know, what are you and your team focused on from a regulatory perspective? Yeah. Um, uh, it, you know, it's, uh, from, from the regulatory perspective, it's obviously the safety of these products uh, that will ultimately be Front and foremost, um, I think I, I think the uh, the uh, obviously we also care about e effectiveness, um, and, but we we have a reasonable sense of that um, uh, from uh, the the field and from where things are. Better understanding uh, and thoroughly understanding uh, the issues around safety are uh, are really important. And one of the problems here is. We we really don't have a way of doing uh, the equivalent of uh, accelerated stability uh, for a drug, which is that you would like to be able to very rapidly know um, whether 
uh, there are going to be uh, genomic alterations that are going to cause problems um, in the future. Now, in the cellular case, you can get at that when you take cells out, do this, and you can potentially uh, do um, uh, sequencing to get to uh, a, a fair amount of that. But the, the concern here is that we want to make sure that there aren't going to be problems that come up years from uh, the initial uh, treatment uh, that uh, cause problems. So um, that is probably front and center um, as we think about this. Um, obviously, as this potentially migrates into being a directly administered um, uh, uh, type of treatment, we'll want to think even more carefully about off-target effects um, uh, or potential off-target effects. So um, that to me is is kind of front and center here um, uh, because th otherwise base editing and prime editing potentially get around a lot of the other problems with some of the vector gene therapies um, that we have. Uh, because, you know, this is in and out um, and the correction is made uh, as opposed to needing to have persistence of the vector itself. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, in the, within cell and gene therapy in the sector as a whole, there are some clinical holds going on. And so um, what do the recent clinical holds say about the FDA's views on gene editing? You know, I, I, I think I can just talk I'll, I'll talk, I'll speak in general about this, which is that um, I think we've recently had um, some transitions in our uh, office uh, at, uh, at FDA in, in terms of a transition to the Office of Therapeutic Products, uh, a greater focus uh, on uh, the gene therapy, chemistry manufacturing controls, and um, uh, on the clinical trials in this area. Um, I think what, what we may be seeing right now is we are in a transition period from a period where we were uh, somewhat conservative um, uh, about what we were letting move forward uh, to a place where we will be a bit more permissive uh, and we'll continue to follow the science in allowing things to be uh, uh, moving ahead um, uh, once we are comfortable uh, that the risks are adequately controlled. So um, I don't think I would read too much uh, into what we have done in the past, um, uh, uh, but um, uh, be uh, assured that uh, we're going to do our best to follow the science here um, and uh, allow things to uh, move forward when we are comfortable uh, that the risks involved have been um, adequately uh, taken into account. Sure, of course. Okay, thanks. That's helpful. Um, while we're on the topic of clinical holds, I would just like to hear your what you have to say just about them overall and in general, kind of broadly. Um, you know, what typically needs to happen for both potency assays and manufacturing quality control for a hold to be released anyway? Well, when we when we place something on clinical hold, uh, it's because it's usually because either there is a quality issue um, uh, or there is a safety issue. It's very rare that something is uh, is put 
uh, on hold because there's concerns about uh, effectiveness. Um, so it's either it's either the product quality um, or product safety. We'll 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 save we'll keep safety aside for now because the issue there would be that we think that there's um, something uh, that is uh, concerning in terms of adverse events that are occurring. So for quality, the reason why we would put something on hold for quality um, is because we are concerned that the product is either not being manufactured consistently, that there are contaminants that we're concerned about that haven't been controlled, um, uh, uh, or that there's not adequate definition of the product, among other things. And so um, I, I think in, in general, um, uh, when we see holes for quality, that uh, tends to be things. And I guess I, I, I neglected to say the other reason why you might see a hold is that um, uh, in, in the pediatric setting, uh, you don't have a linkage with um, some type of data from perhaps a non-clinical model uh, that you could have prospect of direct clinical benefits. So those are the kinds of things uh, that uh, can get there. But in terms of manufacturing, uh, what gets uh, you know gets us is that we need to be able to see that, um, particularly as products advance, uh, but um, uh, it, it, we like to make sure that products uh, will be made in a manner that are is are, are consistent, well characterized, um, ideally um, with potency uh, assays. But we are are as our guidance that we. Um, have issued in the past and will uh, continue. Uh, will you'll see in the future? Um, uh, I think we've had kind of this uh, long-standing uh, uh, policy that um, early on in development, we're willing to accept um, some more uh, leeway in uh, in a product's specifications than than as it gets closer to development. That that is uh, it, it's it has it's a twin-edged sword. On the one hand, it allows people to proceed uh, more rapidly early in development. On the other hand, for some of these products that make it through development very quickly, it means that sometimes um, uh, the process uh, development has not occurred adequately, uh, and so things get slowed down at the end. So, long story short, um, you know. The, we, we need to, for something to come off hold, we have to make sure that we feel confident that there will not be a quality issue that is going to affect product safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fair. Okay. Um, so one more question as we've been talking, I'm curious about whether CBER considers an inheritable gene edit a, a deal breaker for approval or not. And so my question is, is, is the FDA prepared to approve a base editing therapy that alters the germline and becomes inheritable? So I think I want to I want to peel that apart into two uh, questions. Uh, the first is that um, can we tolerate some uncertainty about administration of a base editor or prime editor uh, that uh, in doing its job uh, could possibly have an effect uh, on the germline uh, as an incidental effect. In other words, that's not where it's targeted, um, but that 
um, uh, as as one of the issues that could occur by treating uh, either a, a young individual or, um, uh, for for that matter, um, uh, you know somebody uh, where you get some correction of this in a germ cell, and that is heritable. I think that kind of 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 possibility is one that we can possibly accept here moving forward as something that um you know it, it it's possible but it doesn't mean that things you can't use uh, uh base editors or prime editors um in women of childbearing potential i think that uh that doesn't have to be uh a uh a, a thing a place where things uh, get stopped. And I think we'll obviously we'll want to make sure that um, there is the smallest chance of that happening. Um, but I don't think that uh, is uh, going to be a deal breaker uh, at the end of the day. I'll take this. The, so that's the that's the one question, the kind of the the use of prime or base editing uh, in uh, in individuals and this slight possibility that there could be germline c- correction I, I think we can accept that as something uh, that um, we're looking to try to, you know, to mitigate it as much as possible. But um, uh, that shouldn't preclude, uh, you know, the treatment of individuals uh, with with base or prime editors. Then there's the issue of, you know, correcting, actually deliberately correcting heritable uh, conditions that currently is not permitted by our appropriations law. Um, so we're not allowed to accept an application for review at FDA if the uh, product is going to create a heritable genetic modification. That's something uh, that's an appropriations rider uh, on FDA, um, and that's the law that we abide by. Uh, obviously, we continue to follow developments in other places in the world uh, where um, uh, some heritable genetic modifications are being permitted, uh, but uh, in, in the United States, in humans um, specifically, uh, heritable gen- genetic modifications are not permitted at this time. Um, and so if that changes at some point, we'll be ready for it. Um, but uh, for right now, that's the state of uh, things in the United States. Great, fair, thank you very much. All right, we are at the end of the episode. And as my listeners know, at the end of every episode, I ask my guests a question to get to know who they are when they're not in the office or the lab. And last time we talked, Dr. Marks, we talked about your passion for sailing. And as I understand it, I'm not a sailor myself, but as I understand it, uh, as with most things in life, you know, when it comes to sailing, timing is everything. Um, so what I'd love to hear from you for our audience would be, uh, maybe one or two tips for the listeners who, what they need to know about the basic elements of sailing. I assume timing is one of them, but, uh, you know, what, what do we, what do our potential sailors out there need to know if they wanted to get started, say today? If they want to get started today, um, uh, first of all, uh, when you start to go out to sail for the first time, go out on a very nice day when there's not a lot of wind um, uh, and go out and uh, basically don't worry too much uh, about all of the details because there is so much theory that you can know. 
Um, if you go out on a day where there's not too much wind, five to 10 miles an hour of wind, um, uh, you, you can kind of get the sense for um, what is going on sailing uh, it, 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 with a, a, a small amount of instruction uh, to learn how to tack and to jibe a boat. Um, uh, but the, the major piece of that is go out on a day that's a nice day when there's not too much wind. It might seem a little boring, but much easier to start to learn to sail when there's not uh, uh, not an overwhelming amount of wind. Start small and build. There you go. Maybe I, a little I, bit I, like science. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I think there's a connection there of why you're so passionate about the two. Um, well, that makes sense. And I think, uh, you know, certainly you don't want to be on choppy waters either. So that's great. Um, all right, listeners, that wraps up this episode of Selling Gene, the podcast featuring Sieber's Dr. Peter Marks. Dr. Peter Marks, thank you so much sincerely for your time and insight. This has been such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Listeners, be sure to go back and listen to episode 40 of Selling Gene, the podcast, my first interview with Dr. Peter Marks. I promise you that is well, with, well worth your time as well. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.